basically what he does is, is he looks down and he goes, good Lord, I've come a long way. And then he looks up and then he goes, man, I got a long way to go. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to check in right here at Mediocre Inn in the middle of the mountain. And he walks in the Mediocre Inn and, you know, they take all of his gear. They give him a room. They give him dinner. The next morning he wakes up. They got a great fire burning in the lobby and they give him a breakfast. And all these people are leaving to go back out on the mountain. And he goes, hey, you know what? Hey, I'll just stay right here. But his consolation is at least I'm better than the quitter. See, some of us wake up every day and we compare ourselves to quitters. And I don't, I don't, I don't compare myself to anybody. I compare myself to what God expects me to be every day that I live my life. And so that ain't got anything to do with anybody. I mean, honestly, when we leave there and we leave the facility and we come home, I mean, my kids will tell you, I mean, we don't really talk about football. But it's crazy how if you'll empower your players, they'll surprise you. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I'm Max Price, and you are listening to the High School Coaches Club. Back in 2016, a video came across my Facebook news feed. It was a football coach at a giant high school in Alabama. They just won the state championship, and there was this guy sitting at the podium, passion just like overflowing from his cup. He was talking about comparators, competitors, and conquerors, and I was hooked. I even shared it on my Facebook with a comment that was something along the lines of, holy cow, I'm ready to run through the wall for this guy. That video popped up in my Facebook memories a month or two ago. Yeah, I know, I'm old, I'm still on Facebook, but I'm thrilled that I am because that video came up and now I'm able to bring on the show, Josh Niblett. He's the head football coach at Hoover High School. He's jumping on the line today to give us the rundown on his life and his passion for helping young men grow. And I'm pretty sure that by the time you reach the end of this thing, you'll be ready to run through a wall for Josh too. As a head high school football coach, he's almost running out of fingers to hold his state championship rings. And I'm not exaggerating even a little bit. In 13 years at Hooper High School alone, the Bucks have never been knocked out before the state semifinals. They've made the state title game nine times over that stretch, including every single time over his first seven years. In his 13 years at Hoover, the Bucks have outscored opponents by nearly 4,000 points. But it's not the wins he's chasing. I think that's really important for people to hear, and you'll realize it by the time you're done. It's about impacting people. It's about relationships. It's about being all in all the time. I cannot wait to get started, so let's jump in. Here's the head football coach at Hoover High School in Hoover, Alabama, Josh Niblett. All right, I'm here with head football coach at Hoover High School, Josh Niblett. Josh, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, Max. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about being on with you. Uh, one thing I've noticed about you, this is the first time uh, we've ever spoken, but one thing I've noticed just from seeing interviews and stuff of you is you have like an abundance of energy. Is that a natural thing or is that uh, enhanced? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think ever since I was little, you know, I've got an older brother who's on my staff and, you know, he's probably two and a half years older than I am. He's kind of the quiet guy, you know, so they say all children are different. And so, you know, I was kind of one of those guys, I've always been a high energy guy. You know, I was a guy that couldn't sit still growing up. And so as I got older, I just kept having more energy. And, you know, I turned 49 years old, January the 2nd. And so, you know, I'm trying to continue to take my energy to another level uh, and not let my age define, you know, who I am, but exactly how I want to wake up every day and get better. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, I've always had high energy. I saw you uh, turn 49 and got a 49ers beanie. Yeah, I did. That was pretty cool. Uh, you know, I mean, that all happened to kind of work out. I, I'm a big Shanahan fan, so I like watching him offensively and like to watch what he does. And, 
my son likes Kittle and because he plays tight end. And so, you know, we've kind of grown to know him a little bit. And then Nick Mullins is from this area. And so uh, it's kind of a neat little deal. And then it just happened to be, hey, I'm going to be a 49er all year. So, Yeah, it's funny. I grew up on the West Coast here and, and still live here in Oregon. And all my buddies are all Seahawks fans because Seattle's a little bit closer. So when I was like seven or eight and people are like, yeah, I'm a Seahawks fan. I'm just like, well, I don't want to be like everybody else. So I'll just be a 49ers fan. So I've been a Niners fan forever. <laughs> it's just kind of the way it is. Wow. It was really nice a couple of years ago. This well, year was a little bit rougher. But well, you know. yeah. And in the 80s and early 90s, you had some good years too. So uh, yeah, I yeah. remember watching yeah. them. Remember Terrell Owens catching a pass against the Packers in the yeah. playoff game and getting crushed from both sides. That's well, like one of my first memories. Well, me showing my age i mean i'm i watched the joe montana throw you know in the back of the end zone to clark so i actually saw that as a person so <laughs> yeah as a little has a little younger for yeah, that no doubt uh, well, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. I, I think most people listening will uh, be at least a little bit aware of, of Hoover High School and and the program you're at now. But I think it'd be really cool for people to just get a chance to hear from you. Uh, just go back to like your high school playing days. Take us through college at Alabama and then through high school as a coach. Like, how'd you get into coaching and how'd you end up at Hoover? Well, you know, growing up, my dad my dad was a high school football coach, so my dad coached for about 35 years, and so we were gym rats, and so. You know, whether it was in the summer or whatever it may be, we would always be in my dad's back pocket. So, you know, when I was one or two years old, I was running around at the school all summer long trying to figure out ways to, you know, play ball or do whatever. And so me and my brother competed against each other every single day doing something. And then when we got older, then we kind of became the guys that did all the work around the school uh, in the summer, whether it be cutting grass, painting, or weed eating. And, uh, And so, you know, just growing up, uh, you know, I always wanted to be an athlete. I mean, we always had a ball in our hand. Our dad taught us how to be competitive and how to compete. And so that was always kind of in our blood. And, and we always wanted to do that. So everything was a competition, whether it was school, um, taking out the trash, brushing your teeth, whatever it may have been. And so, you know, as I got older, uh, you know, I kind of figured out that, hey, look, you know, I want to try to be as good as I can in everything I can possibly good be good at. And so, you know, I played all three sports in high school. Um, I played at a little private school in Alabama. Um, I had the opportunity to play for my dad. Uh, my dad coached me, you know, all the way up. And, you know, I mean, I have some good stories. I mean, that'd be for another time that we could talk about. Uh, you know, my dad's a big-time disciplinarian, always made us do right. And, you know, he didn't settle for anything less than that. And so that's how we grew up. And that was the expectation in our home. And so, you know, I grew up wanting to make my dad happy. I grew up wanting to uh, – make my dad proud and, you know, to have your dad coach, I would never trade that. I mean, there, of course, there were some practices where I wish I'd have been the other guy and not his son, but, um, you know, just growing up and being hard nosed. Cause that's the way he taught us how to be. And then, uh, you know, always, he always pushed us. And so, you know, I, I grew up that way. And so when high school, you know, I had an opportunity to, you know, be all state in high school and, uh, you know, we played quarterback and I had originally signed with Southern Miss out of high school and, Brett Favre was a senior the year before I signed. And um, so, you know, I went there and things just didn't work out. Um, the offense had changed when I had gotten there. Um, instead of being spread, it was more triple option. And uh, and so, you know, they vamped back into a different kind of offense. And, you know, the next uh, two days, I just, you know, I ended up transferring and I transferred to Alabama. And, you know, I was there uh, in 92. I walked on and so I kind of ran every snap on offense for the scout team against the national championship defense because I was ineligible. And, you know, it was an awesome time. And I learned a lot and, uh, you know, really felt like 
um, help those guys get prepared week in and week out. And I took that serious. And so the next few years, you know, I ended up playing tight end and fullback there my last, uh, two years there at Alabama. And, uh, and then I knew I wanted to coach. And so, uh, I took a spot, uh, with my dad at a private school. Uh, my brother was the, uh, offensive coordinator. I was the defense coordinator. My dad was the head coach, which was kind of neat. And that lasted till about May from January to May. I started a PE curriculum for the elementary students i was strength coach me and my brother coached baseball and basketball together so that was awesome and then there was a guy i played with at southern miss that was just joined the new staff at jacksonville state university and he's like hey look we got a restricted earning spot and uh you know it'll be tight ends and and tackles you know is that something you think you might be interested in and if it is you need to give coach a call so i gave coach a call uh he had coached the running backs for us at southern miss and i went and interviewed and you know, I ended up getting the job. So I went to graduate school and made $6,000 being the restricted earnings coach. And after that season was over with, I think we went one in 10. And so they changed the staff up a little bit and I became the head strength coach, um, head of uh, administration with the head coach. And then I was director of football operations. Um, and then I would help at other spots on the field. And, uh, the next year we went seven and four and had one of the best turnarounds in division one AA football. Um, and then the next year I picked up running backs coach, um, on top of that. And so, you know, it was kind of one of those deals where the next year really felt like we had a chance to be really good and we didn't come out of the gate as strong. And, um, the fourth game, our, our head coach resigned, um, while we were at Sanford in the locker room and, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those deals where I'd only been married to my wife about two years. My wife didn't know a whole lot about coaching at the time. And uh, and I had to come home and say, hey, look, you know, here's the situation. You know, we're probably not going to have a job de by December the 31st. And we need to win some ball games and we got to help these kids win. But but at the same time, you knew that you were going to have to be on the lookout for an opportunity. And uh, I made the kind of decision. I mean, I'm a faith-based guy and God's blessed me tremendously. He's never given me too much I cannot handle because I've relied on him and everything I've ever done. And my wife's the same way. And, and so, you know, I just went to pray and then, you know, trying to figure out better ways to uh, what I needed to do. And so I could do my part. And so, you know, I, God just put in my mind, Hey, why don't you go coach high school football? And uh, you know, that's a passion your dad had, you loved it. And so had an opportunity to interview with us, with a, the team that uh a program Aniana high school they'd been one and nine and three and seven the two years before and uh but they'd had some tradition back in the 80s and they interviewed uh like 15 or 16 guys and i was the first interview didn't hear anything for two weeks and about two weeks later me and my wife were driving home she was working for alpha insurance and we were like lord just give us a sign just something so we'll know what we need to do like do i need to sell sporting goods equipment do i need to you know find another job and the next day, it's crazy. I'd interviewed for two jobs and got a call within 30 minutes on those two jobs um, and got an opportunity and got offered. And uh, so I went to Aniana High School. I was there five years the first year. Uh, we went um, five and six, had no business making it to the playoffs, but we did. The next year, we went seven and four, got back to the first round again. My third year is kind of where we made the turn. We went 11 and two, got beat in the uh, quarterfinals. Um, and then my fourth year we made it to the finals and got beat and then my fifth year we went undefeated and won it all um and then i got an opportunity to uh move to a uh to a 5a which was about to become a 6a at that time that was the classification was 1a through 6a now we're 1a through 7a here in alabama and 
got an opportunity to go there, got an opportunity to double my salary. Um, and so that was kind of life-changing money for me and my family, but it would be a life-changing opportunity for me as far as a professional goes. And so we, we moved and we moved 30 minutes closer to my wife's family, which was awesome. And uh, we stayed there three years and the Hoover job came open and I didn't know what kind of a chance I would have, but I knew if I could get an interview um, and talk about the culture in which we try to create within our programs and, you know, how we want our young men to behave and uh, the responsibility that we give them in the accountability program that we take uh, serious. Um, I thought I might have a chance. And, hey, 13 years ago, I got the opportunity to be the head coach at Hoover High School. And uh, next year will be my 14th season here. So I've been, yeah. I've been truly blessed, man. Yeah, it's been a, it's it's obviously been really successful at Hoover, but I think it's important that people kind of get a chance to hear the background of it because it's not like you just walked into Hoover one day and were winning state titles, right? There's right. there's a lot that comes before that. There's trials, tribulations. Even the the part about being a, in college football and experiencing the realities of college football, which can be a pretty not I guess a not pretty scene for coaches a lot of times. Well, I you know I I think the the biggest thing when I was in college was is I always wanted to play at Alabama and Alabama recruited me out of high school. Um, but you know it's just like anything like right now they had two or three of us on the board and they had to figure out which one they wanted to offer and you know it's kind of one of those deals where if the first guy didn't take the offer then I would be the next guy and that guy took the offer and so you know it was one of those opportunities for me where I had to you know, move on from that, even though I wanted to play at Alabama, but then I got the opportunity to come back to Alabama and, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And, uh, but I think that's what helped me grow. While I was at Alabama, I played quarterback. I played outside linebacker. I played strong safety. I played fullback. I played wide receiver and I played tight end. So I played a lot of different spots along with special teams. It probably helps you out as a, as a coach moving forward then because you have that kind of background of playing all those different positions. I don't know many football players that end up playing all of those in high school, let alone at the college level. Well, I played in a small private school too in high school, so you had to play both ways. So I played free safety on defense, and then I'd put a kicking shoe on, the old square toe, uh, and <laughs> to kick off and to kick extra points. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> it's an exciting time, man. It's funny watching this. So in up here in Oregon, football, uh, high school football isn't like a way of life. So like when when there's like a TV show or like a movie, some I, like Friday Night Lights is kind of the go to one, right? Yeah. You, you watch that up here in Oregon and you're like, oh, that's weird. Like high school sports obviously aren't like that. But then you start like diving into it and realizing like in Texas, you know, Florida, Alabama, Georgia um, and a lot in Missouri, other places in the country, like high school football is really important and communities treat it as something that's really important. Can you kind of give me a glimpse for somebody who doesn't really know what high school football is like in Alabama? Like, what is it like as far as the community, as the town, the, the, the stadiums, all that sort of thing? Well, and I think every Bears is a little bit different. But, I mean, Alabama is a – you know, they always say football is a religion here. Um, and <laughs> it is. I mean, that's – I mean, you turn on any talk show like, you know, Jocks 94.5. Like, if you go on a – I'm just telling you this. If you get a chance, just pull it up on iHeartRadio or something and listen to it every day just for 10 minutes, and I promise you the first conversation is always going to be about football. And everything else is the backstories. I mean, they just – they'll go to the other sports later. But they're going to talk football 365 days. And, uh, you know, here, you know, high school football is big. I mean, it's – I mean, to to me, it's all your smaller communities, your bigger communities. I mean, it's it's kind of the, the fabric that kind of knits your community together. Um, you know, everybody on Friday night gets an opportunity to come together and – where everybody else might get together and go to a movie or go out to eat or get together and just 
at somebody's house, you know, we just, we get together at a football stadium and, uh, and watch our kids play. And, uh, these kids, I mean, it's, it's, it's for some of these kids, it's their way out. I mean, it's their opportunity, um, to get an education and, uh, and that's not for all of them, but I mean, it's, it's one of those deals to where here that if you don't take it serious, um, and you're not trying to compete and, and, you know, get better every day, uh, then there's a lot of places that are going to pass you by because that's how important, you know, football is in this state. And when the pandemic hit, I mean, just to be honest, Max, and there was a talk about, Hey, there may not be any football this fall. I know other states were upset, but I can tell you this in Alabama. I mean, we were one of the first states. Um, I believe we were the first state to say, Hey, we're playing high school football. Um, and, and it wasn't because we're taking that over safety that that wasn't it. Um, but, the one thing that we said is, is if there's one thing we got to be able to do is, is, you know, we got to get, make sure our kids have some kind of normalcy and our kids need structure and our kids don't need to be home 24 seven by themselves. Um, you know, for us, it helps us because it's more than just that Avenue. It's helping them academically. It's helping them socially, their character. And so here in Alabama, like you said, brother, it's, it's big time and, uh, everybody loves it and loves to be a part of it. Dude, it's funny you mentioned that. So in Oregon right now, we're one of the last states in terms of opening up high school sports. There hasn't been a single uh, high school game of any kind played since, you know, March of last of 2020. Our football season is supposedly going to start here in about a month or so. I don't know, late February, early March. And even right now, there's talk of like maybe it becomes like a seven on seven thing or something like that. Right. I even saw an article about maybe it'll be flag football or something like that. Right. So it's just so weird. To, to live, I mean, for me to live in a state, I, I see the importance of high school sports athletics and then to see like so many parts of the country that are getting after it. And we're over here in Oregon just kind of twiddling our thumbs like, will they let us go? I don't know. It's just, it's bizarre. It's really strange. Well, I think it's tough for everybody. I mean, it's, I mean, it's number one, it's tough for the families. And, uh, you know, you got a lot of different avenues there that you, you know, that really go under that umbrella. I mean, everything from, you know, kids, you know, trying to stay out of trouble and do the right things. And then if they're all virtual, how many kids are really getting their work done? Um, you know, and then, you know, parents, you know, having to make sure that their kids are taken care of at home. And then, you know, your seniors and being recruited. And now you got all this stuff going on in college where the kid has a, you know, their super senior year and then, you know, right. the transfer portal. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's really been tough. Um, and I couldn't imagine if we couldn't have played, um, you know, I know I would go crazy, um, and I know the state would go crazy for sure. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, it would. It absolutely would. When you so last March, we we I coached baseball here at, in Salem, Oregon, and our season was canceled about three days before our first game. So we had a few weeks of practice, and then right before our game, everything was shut down. So then there's like this mad rush of like, you know, how do I keep kids engaged? Obviously, trying to take advantage of Zoom or Google Meets or whatever. But I, it, it was hard. Like it's hard to get kids because once they're home and they're just home, some have to pick up jobs, some have to start helping their families, some become like you know, the babysitter for their little, little siblings yeah. and stuff like that. Did, did, did you go on Zoom? Did you get big into that last last spring, trying to get kids connected still and kind of keep the core of your, your program together? We did, but I, I mean, I think the biggest thing for us, I know there's probably a lot of people that once they found out, you know, um, the first thing they thought about was probably getting on Zoom and, you know, with their kids. But us, it was just contacting our kids and then making sure they're okay, making sure they've got a plan. We're making sure that, 
They know what's about to happen. And it wasn't anything about football. Like, we didn't even talk about that. I mean, once they decided that we weren't going to go back to school, you know, it wasn't like we tried to jump into saying, hey, we're going to do this or do that. I mean, because it's the whole epidemic of, you know, everybody's got to realize what's going on. You know, there's a reality that's about to set in. And some people are going to handle it different than others. And so once we could get everybody kind of understanding what was going on, um, and what we were going through, because kids today, they don't really understand that. And so for us to be able to educate them and help them, then we got to a point to where, you know, now it's like, hey, let's get them into some kind of normalcy. Let's make sure we're getting them in some kind of schedule, you know, because kids were trying to get jobs because now they had a little bit of time on their hands. You know, we want to make sure academically they were doing all their work. And then, you know, we would have like a three day a week uh, at one o'clock till like two o'clock or two fifteen, we had a zoom workout. So we did a workout that the kids would follow. And then we could see them on the screens doing the workouts. I mean, with any little equipment they could have at home. Um, and then we began to do, I began to do staff meetings with our staff. And then, you know, we, we approached it as a staff, like we were getting ready for spring ball. And, uh, and so when may rolled around, I mean, we set up, you know, two weeks and, what we did is we went, well, actually it was three weeks. We went four, we went six days. So there was like uh, six days of installation. And so we did a, uh, we did a virtual spring practice. And so the kids would go out, maybe it was in their backyard or whatever. And that particular unit coach would have his guys um, on zoom and they would set their phones up and, you know, we would go through my Indy. You know, we would go through activation. We'd go through indie with them. And then we would go through, hey, here's group and here's routes on air. And then here's this. And they might not have been receiving a ball, but that way they could visualize it and they could go through the install. So if we got back in the summer, which we did June the 6th, it was just kind of like, okay, we're going to re-roll this installation. Now they visualized it. Now let's go out and be able to do it physically. So that's kind of how we approached it. And I think that allowed our kids to have some structure and some normalcy. Um, that try to keep us on track as far as mentally, physically, spiritually, socially, and all those facets of our program. Yeah, so you end up having to getting to play the 2020-2021 season. Now you're, you know, 13 years into the into the kind of program at Hoover. Obviously, during that time, you've either played for the state title or been in the semifinals every year. I think something like nine times in the state title game, uh, seven times you won it been a lot of success but can you kind of test your memory let's let's go back to 2008 you're just taking over I like to think of it as like a like a spaceship when it takes off if it's if the trajectory's off by you know like an inch or two like it could miss the moon by a couple hundred miles you know what I mean so it's like when you took over that program those first few days weeks months like that's a really important time what were your first steps like Josh you're the new head coach at Hoover okay now what well I think the biggest thing was is I'm not I didn't try to be anybody else I just I was gonna be me um, I knew I knew there was two constants. Number one is we we had to keep winning and playing for championships. I mean, because that wasn't going to be, you know, hey, come in and <laughs> right. hey, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this, and we might be five hundred. You know, that wasn't that wasn't gonna work. Yeah, right. and, uh, <laughs> but they didn't have to worry about that. And I mean, because then it was hey, doing it the way I felt like we need to do it, which was the right way. And uh, and so you know, the first day I talked to them, I mean, I can tell you that. You know, you might have had kids when I first started, they were slouched down in their seats. And, you know, and then by the time I got through speaking, they were sitting upright, listening, locked in uh, on what we felt like we had to do. Um, And I think the biggest thing for me um, was just letting the kids know that I care about them as people. And it wasn't just going to be about football players. I mean, I tell our players every day, like right now we have 
we have a certain realm that time permits, like we always do this every day, um, is our kids have to shake five hands and they have to look the guy in the eye. And uh, because that's big for me. And I want to teach these guys, like being a football player is going to teach you how to be a better man, teach you how to be a better husband, be a better father. And some guys can't fathom that because it's too far down the road. But if you don't have a plan, then when that plan comes to fruition and you don't have one, then what are you going to do? And so for me, I think that's the way we evolved and that's the way we approached it. Um, you know, I wanted to make sure the staff was on the same page and I want to make sure the staff was a direct reflection of who I was, but to be their own man. But our extension, we had to speak the same words. The kids had to speak the same words in the first couple of months. Yeah. You're, there's a lot of lessons to be learned and there's a lot of teachable moments. And, uh, you know, we got to the finals that year and we got beat and we should have won. Um, but nobody expected us to be there and nobody expected us to be there in the end, but we were. Um, and I think our kids uh, were all in. I, I don't believe in buying in. I don't, I don't, we don't even talk about that in our program because I think if you buy in and circumstances change, you sell out. And so for us, it's about being all in all the time, 24 seven, no matter the circumstances. And so that was probably my biggest message for them. And then we just kept growing from there. When you talk about your staff, when you took over in 2008, were you in a position where you had to go hire a bunch of guys? Were you keeping a lot of the guys that were already there? How did that kind of process work well, out? Well, I mean, I sat down and I interviewed with every guy on the staff. Um, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I'm a face-to-face, eye-to-eye guy. I'm not a text guy. I'm not an email guy. You know, if I don't think you're doing a good job, I'm not going to text you. Uh, you know, we got a lot of people in our society today that they would rather text somebody or email them you know, if they're going to let them go or whatever, because they don't want to face them face to face. But, you know, I'm kind of a face to face guy and I want a person to be able to look at me and know that, you know, I'm speaking the truth to them. But there's a respect there, a mutual respect. And so I sat down with every guy on the staff and uh, and talked to them. And, you know, and, and for a lot of reasons, it was my, you know, kind of my deal that I, I had a couple of people I want to bring in because, you know, in coaching, it's all about trust and uh and trust is built through relationships. And when you come into a new deal, you've got to have enough guys core around you that you trust. Um, then you grow that trust with the other guys that you don't know very well. And so for me, offensively, I'm an offensive coach. I mean, I still call plays on offense and love being a part of what we do on offense. And so I knew from an offensive perspective that, you know, I was going to bring my brother uh, with me who coaches our quarterbacks and is our offensive coordinator. Um, you know, I, I looked at a couple of different guys. I kept one guy offensively on staff. I brought everybody else in. Um, there was a guy that was coaching the junior varsity um, that I pulled up the varsity on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and then defensively, the defensive coordinator, uh, who is now, uh, I think, coaches uh, linebackers for the New York Giants, um, played with me at Alabama, and he had interviewed for the head coaching job. And most people would be like, you know what? I'm not hiring a guy that interviewed for the same job I hired. You yeah, know? no kidding. Let our egos yeah, go. But I'm a guy that I'm a, I want I want future coaches. Like I want guys that want to inspire to be head coaches. I mean, because they're gonna to want to learn from you. Um and they're gonna to wanna to grow every day. They're gonna to wanna to try to apply themselves every day. And so Kevin Sher, who I've got the utmost respect for, think the world of, um, you know, he was my first defensive coordinator here. Um, and most of the staff, we hired one guy uh, that we brought in. Um, so I wanted to sit down and talk to everybody. And then I was honest with them and said, hey, look, you know, I, I'm going to go a different route. Um, but I thought they needed to hear that from me and not from somebody else. And I think that's what helped us try to grow our program is being honest and starting from day one being honest. 
I think you're dead on with that that assessment of like when you have assistant coaches who aspire to be head coaches, it makes the whole program better because you have there, there's no I don't know if complacency is the right word, but they're not they're not just there because they want to just coach the offense. They're there because they eventually want to to leave the program, right? right? Have you had yeah. a lot of guys go on to become head coaches at other well, programs? Well, I think originally when we first started out, you'd have one or two that would go to be like a coordinator that were a position coach. We kept really good continuity probably for about the first, I'd probably say eight years of, of, of our staffs. Now, when Kevin left, Kevin left uh, the third year to go be a defensive coordinator. I mean, uh, to go be a defensive analyst at Alabama. Um, and so, which was a great opportunity for him. I had a, our special teams coordinator left to go be the head coach at a high school. Um, we had an offensive coach leave to go be an offensive coordinator. So that's kind of how it evolved that after that second year. And then the defensive coordinator I hired then, he left three years later to become a head coach. And then, I pulled the guy up that was our outside linebacker coach to be our defensive coordinator. And after he was with me six years, he left to go be a defensive coordinator at another place. Um, and so, like for me, the last three to four years, um, I know last year I hired seven new coaches in the pandemic. Um, and so we had to replace seven coaches. Three years ago, we had to replace seven coaches. And then two years ago, I think we replaced three coaches. Um, so, you know, it's kind of one of those deals to where, you know, it's kind of like Nick Saban always says, like, look, if you're winning, I mean, and you're doing something right, people want your staff, you know. Um, there's a reason for that. And so, for me, I just always have to be prepared. Look, I hire great people first, and then we'll, we'll teach you how to coach and teach you what you want you to know. But I got to have great men that have great energy and give great effort. And so, is if I can find those guys year in and year out, um, then I want them to have an opportunity to go be a head coach or go be a coordinator because they're only better in themselves. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's it's awesome that you can give. You're right. I think the the idea of hiring good people because you can you can give them yeah, a, a, like unbelievably large amounts of resources and teach them how to like coach specific you know drills or or skills well, or things like that. You but can if, if they're not a good guy, that's a that's gonna. Well, be you're always gonna like the biggest thing. I always tell people like, I mean in. I mean, look, we've all had it, and we were all this at one time probably. I mean, like, you really want people to know what you know. Like, you feel like that's your credibility, you know, that if you have street yeah. cred, like, hey, like, I, I, I mean, this is this is what I – and you constantly want to tell people what you know. Well, I tell guys when they first come in, look, I don't take this the wrong way. It's not that I want to know what you know. I want you to know what we're doing. And then I want to know what you know and how it's going to fit into what we're doing to make us better. I mean, that's, that's the whole deal. I mean, that's, and then, because most people listen for two reasons. Number one, you either listen because you can't wait till that guy's quiet so you can respond or you listen to understand. And when I hire guys, I tell them like, look, when you first come in, I need you to listen to understand. And then when you understand what we're doing, then you can listen to respond. And so I think that's important to teach young coaches. Um, and I think it's even more important in this day and time uh, that people do understand that, you know, it's about, hey, just listen a little bit and learn because that's what I try to do. That's why I'm on here with you today um, because I want to help people learn. You know, I want to help be a resource for people because that's what people gave me uh, when I was coming up. Yeah, it's a way to give back to the community is share what share what you've got and maybe you know maybe somebody takes one thing from it and they become a better coach then they can impact kids better and it, it kind of keeps going and going and going. 
When you took over at Hoover, uh, what was there in terms of youth football in Hoover? How has it had to change over time, or has it always been kind of well set up? Well, when I first got here, I mean, like, you know, because my son was going to be involved in it. Um, And so when I first got here, they had a competitive league, and then they had a, like, recreational league. Um, And so – but there was no – there was no flag football. It was all – you know, it was all full contact. Um, And so – you know, they had like the Hoover Raiders and basically we have two schools within our city school system and uh, you'd have both sides from whether it's Spain Park or Hoover. I mean, those communities, you know, you combine those kids together to play and then you had age groups from kindergarten all the way up to sixth grade. And, uh, and then you had those two that didn't want to be in competitive ball because they thought it was just too much about football then they would put them in, you know, the rec league. And so that would be like your, like anybody else would do, like the Redskins, the Patriots and all that. And those kids would have like four teams in their, in their league and they would play each other twice. Um, but for me, I was still trying to grow it because I didn't care. Like if you wanted to play either one, I wanted to make sure those staffs were doing what needed to be done. And so, you know, every summer we do coaching clinics for those guys. You know, we get on the board with them. You know, we have our staff is split up into the, the beginners, the intermediates, and the advanced, and that's by the age groups. And, you know, we try to teach them everything that we want to do them from everyday drills. Our kids come in and we do a uh, we do skill drills for them and show them our everydays and, you know, show them what we expect out of them. I show them a practice schedule. I take them through that and how it can help them to make sure you're practicing both guys on both sides of the ball. And so trying to give them a resource, which they haven't had. And then I put on camps in the summer for our young people. Um, and so our youth program, I was trying to grow it and just take it to another level. So after about the third or fourth year, we began to split to where we wanted to keep it to where there was a Spain Park team and there was a Hoover team. And then trying to join the other youth football league, we have two of them here. We have an over the mountain league. And then I think we have the JS, uh, the Jefferson County football league. And so we wanted to get in the one where we would be matched up playing people in our region. So you know, like we have eight teams in our region. Well, there was an opportunity for us. If we got into that league, we would be, our kids would be growing up playing those in that, in that deal, just like they would in high school, which we thought would be pretty neat. And so that's what we did. We evolved to that and that's where we're at right now. So then our kids play for the Hoover Bucks or they play for the Spain Park Jaguars, which is what they're going to play for in high school. Um, We still do the coaching clinics. You know, I clinic our Hoover coaches, you know, we're a resource for those guys. So we have those guys feeding them into our middle school, then I have, you know, our middle school feeding into our freshmen and then our freshmen that leads into our futures and our futures lead into our varsity. I love the I love the idea of continuity from from the time they're they're young, where they're still connected to Hoover from from early on in their football days, because then it's then wearing the you know, wearing a Hoover jersey is a big deal to them. They can see it from the beginning. They can compete with people they're going to be competing against, basically right up all the you know, the entire way up through high school, competing against for, for roster spots and playing time, but then still competing against, you know, the opposition, which is a different team. So you're still on the same team. Yeah, well, and I think the other thing is like both of my kids grew up through it my 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 oldest son who plays college football at Cumberland University in Lebanon Tennessee you know when he grew up through it he played for the Raiders and then by his fourth grade year fifth grade year he was then now becoming a Hoover Buck and then my youngest boy who played for us um started for us as a freshman and on varsity this past year um he played as just a Hoover Buck all the way through and his group who are will be sophomores next year, went through our whole youth program undefeated, didn't lose a game. 
and then we took them to Atlanta to play, you know, some teams in Atlanta, and uh, they ended up playing a middle school team. And so uh, they didn't win that one, you know. And so – but that was probably something that's going to help them grow. Um, and so we're just looking for ways to have our kids compete. And uh, now we have flag football here also. So that's another system that I think needed to be added. And so we added that to our city. Um, and so we have flag football for those parents that are not comfortable with their sons playing full contact yet. And so, but they're still learning the game and we have people involved that love the game. Yeah. One of the things I was going to probably ask you at some point was, you know, the perception of football and concussions and stuff and what, what you're doing at the youth level is to try to help that. And the, you kind of just answered it, the idea of adding flag football, which kind of provides parents with, yeah, I want my kid to play football. Maybe I'm not comfortable to tackle yet. Well, Here's the other thing is, is the parent, I mean, all right. So Max, I don't know. I mean, you have children, Max. Uh, I've got one. He's only 17 right. months well, old. So we're ways away. Well, from- in about 10 years, he's going to decide or you're going to decide whether he's going to play tackle football. All right. I mean, I mean, he's probably going to play baseball, you know, but when he decides, like if you decide whether he's going to play most of the time, I always tell people this, there's two dish conditions of where the parent feels like they feel comfortable with their son playing and he can protect himself. Number two is, is do they feel comfortable with the coaches that are coaching them? And so for me, it was all about education. It was all about educating our parents and it was all about educating our coaches. And then if we can educate the parents and educate the coaches, then we could create some continuity there of a family to where they would have, they knew the coaches had the best interest for their sons and teaching them the right way because we were teaching it to them. All right. And then they had that comfortability to know that, Hey, injuries can happen, but if we're teaching it the right way, especially at the lower levels, um, then those kids have a better chance of staying healthy. And, and I think that's what helped grow, um, not only from a football perspective, but just kind of grew that relationship because, I mean, that's kind of to me what it's all about um, is parents feeling comfortable with how their kids are being, uh, being dealt with, how they're being treated, and then how they're being coached. I have a pretty good feeling, even though he's really young, that he's going to end up loving football more than anything else. For, I don't know, last year, if there's a football game on TV, he, he's obsessed with it. When we go like Dick's Sporting Goods and stuff, he's immediately going to the footballs and just like looking at them, picking them up, walking to the store. And my wife's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, no, he's going to be fine. Yeah, he's I'm pretty sure he's going to be a football kid, more so than baseball, which is great. Like, whatever. I'm, I'm great with it. Uh, well, and I, I think also like my wife, she knew there was no chance that she would be able to say, Hey, look, our kids aren't going to play. I mean, like that never entered her mind. So, uh, you know, I mean, like all my kids have been athletes. I mean, it was kind of like me growing up. I mean, you just, you know, I, I had a chance. I probably could have went further in baseball, um, and could probably had a chance to get drafted in baseball, but my dad played college football. My brother played college football. And so, you know, you just felt like that was something that you want to do, um, was, was play college football. And, and I'm glad I did, and uh, I'm glad I get to uh, have an impact on kids through the game of football. So your your dad coached you. You've coached uh, one son, and now you have another one who just finished his freshman yes. year, I think, right? Yep. You know, the, the perception of, like, a coach's son is that he's going to get, you know, I, it's, I guess I should say, yeah, it's a perception because we know it's not true. But the perception, you know, is usually yeah. like, oh, it's the coach's kid. He's going to get yep. treated differently. Um, and I think they do get treated differently, but maybe not the way that, other people might yeah actually think i probably yeah yeah I, i'm harder on my son than i am anybody else and uh and i don't believe in daddy ball um you know i didn't coach my kids growing up um i may have caught coach shaw who's my oldest boy one summer in baseball but i was always that guy when we went to the game i didn't sit with everybody i got behind the outfield fence i, I didn't want to be around everybody else i didn't want to hear it all right and then 
but my son's been a part of a lot of teams that were daddy ball, you know, and, you know, and so for me, I just knew that's not the way I was going to be. Um, and that's not the way I've been with my kids. My kids have earned everything they've gotten an opportunity to be a part of. Now they do get to live with the head coach. So, you know, they do get to be coached up even more. Um, but when we leave there, I mean, honestly, when we leave there and we leave the facility and we come home, I mean, my kids will tell you, I mean, we don't really talk about football. If we talk about football, they bring it up. Um, I'm just talking to them about, hey, look, let's make sure tonight you're getting in the bed, make sure we got all our schoolwork done, you know, make sure you brush your teeth. I mean, I still had to say that to my 16-year-old. Isn't that amazing? Um, you know, and I mean, and just making sure, hey, tomorrow's trash day, let's get it done. You know, make sure we're eating right, um, you know, whatever it may be. But we don't really talk about football. I mean, we just talk about the things that we've got to do to grow up to be better men. And so, but when I'm coaching them, I mean, I coach them hard, but I coach all of our players hard. Um, but I can tell you this, I don't think any of our players on our team would honestly be able to tell you, hey, look, coach shows his his son's, you know, different treatment than us. I can promise you this. I mean, if you walked in there, you wouldn't know which one my son was. That's awesome. Is that something that's modeled after how your dad was? Or is that something that you specifically talking about? Like when you get home, you're not really talking about football anymore. Is that how your dad was as a coach? Or is this something that you you've done because of maybe your dad? Yeah, my dad did a little a little bit differently. Um, you know, but also at the same time, it wasn't all about football. Um, but I was a little bit different because when I was growing up and I was playing, my brother was playing college football. I played with my brother when I was a freshman. So when my brother was quarterback my senior his senior year, I was a freshman receiver for him. And so when I became a sophomore, junior, and senior, he was in college playing. So we would make those eight- to nine-hour trips to watch him play college ball and in a Nissan Sentra, which was like an 85 model. Um, and so you could imagine between the front seat of – I'm sitting in the pasture side, how close my dad was to me. And so we had to relive every play. Um, and so, you know, he just had an expectation for me and uh, that he wanted me to be. And I think with my kids, I've just kind of been like, hey, look, you know, I don't want it to be 24-7, you know. Now, if my kids want to talk to me about this or my son wants to come down and go, hey, today on this route, you know, or hey, on this block, and, you know, I had this outside or inside, and he wants to ask me a question, yeah, we'll talk about it. But, uh, you know, if we ever talk about anything football-wise, it's all about effort, energy. We don't – it's not about the other stuff. Is that similar to how you coach your teams? Is it – is are your discussions with your teams mostly around, like, becoming men, or yeah. is it more geared towards no, football? It's, it's all about men. Look, we start every meeting, and that's a requirement with all of our unit coaches is we start every meeting with – how are we going to mold them as people? Like, don't start the meeting off like, hey, yesterday you had a combo block. You came off of it too quick and you went to second level or whatever. You know, it's, hey, let's talk to them about people first. And so that's what we do because we really feel like better people make better bucks, you know. And so how can we make a better person every day? Because football is going to end. I mean, you can go to the NFL, but it's going to end at one point in time, you know, unless you're Tom Brady and you play through your young know, like 60. You know, but everybody's going to end at some point in time. And then what are you going to fall back on? And I want to make sure that we've given them a plan, that we've given them an opportunity to grow as men. And so we start the day by growing that. We start workouts at 630 in the mornings. I'm, when I talk to them in the mornings, the first three minutes is something, something that will help them be better people that day and make better decisions. And so we want to make sure that our core is set like it's supposed to be. And that's what our core is about. Our core is built off relationships. And so how do we grow those relationships is kids want to know how much you care before they care how much you know.
Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I think I think that some of the things you're saying might kind of answer this, but if you let's say I brought you up here on a field trip to Oregon, <laughs> I had to, got you meeting with the, the leaders in Oregon, and I'm like, hey, can you convince them that uh, that we should let high school sports or specifically high school football happen? What's your like go to like? Here is why high school sports are important. Like, give me the the synop- Like, why are high school sports important? Well, coach? in this day and time, in the society in which we live in, um, you know, it's really it's really about the things that we build our program with. I mean, it's it's about relationships. I mean, you know, there's a lot of kids, and it's not just relationships between people, but it's relationships between people and opportunities. And the more people understand those relationships and then the more relationships become important to our country, right, and done the right way, then the more opportunity it is and the more impact it makes on everybody else. So how do you grow relationships? Well, I mean, number one, it's about trust, you know, and there's there's a trust factor that we've got to build within our youth today. And the only way we can build that right now is because it's not virtually academically. All right. I mean, that I mean, they've got to have that. But it's it's that face to face, eye to eye, not a Zoom call. It's hey, you know, you know, yeah, you can stay six feet apart and you can have a mask on, all right? But if I can see you and I know you're in the same room, then it builds that relationship. So that trust is we have we have four C's in our program. Number one is it's character trust, it's ethical trust that you're doing the right thing, right? I don't know if you're doing the right thing when I can't see you and be a part of you, okay? I could try to trust that, but if we haven't built that trust, I don't know that. And then number two is competent trust. You know, if I give you a job to do, you know, can I trust that you're going to do it? And then the way that we do that is, is like through sports, it's through football. Um, And then the other one is, is like caring trust. If I'm around you and I know you've got to depend on me day in and day out, not through a computer, but through site to site, and I can help grow you and impact you because we're physically around each other, then I can grow that caring trust and which is a personal trust. And that's something people got to feel. It's not something you can just see. And then the last one's a competitive trust, which I think is the greatest thing in the world. I think if you're not a competitor, then what are you? And, uh, and I think you got to compete and you got to be committed. You got to compete for what you're committed to. And then you got to finish what you're competing for. And so for us, it's a competition. We call it combative trust. And that is, I got your six. So I can have your six on a computer screen all day long. But if I got to have it physically, so you know you can see it, you can feel it, then that makes a difference. And that's what our world needs. How are we going to grow that? We're not going to grow that by people staying at home. We're going to grow that by people standing up and then following the protocols, people following the opportunities that they have in front of them, people growing to be what, you know, basically God's called us to be. So when we wake up every day, look, I'm trying to get 1% better. I'm not going to get 1% better just sitting around. I mean, I've got to be a part of people's lives. That's me. I mean, that's who I am. That's my energy. That's what grows me and gives me the effort to be an impact to other people. So if I'm talking to people, then how can it not be great for us? You know, and then how can we grow it? Because we're looking for ways not to do it when let's look for ways to do it. Let's look for ways to grow it. So now we're giving these kids these opportunities. We're giving these coaches. We're giving these families because this is all some people have. And so, you know, and how do you serve others? That's another one thing in our, in our program. It's about serving. Um, it's about respect. Uh, it's about a toughness that you have to have. It's about a love you have for each other. And so, you know, I, I just think 
you know, in order to be able to do that, uh, you got to be able to experience those things. You got to physically be able to experience them. You got to physically be around each other and you got to physically know that somebody cares about you. All right. I'm going to go ahead and take that clip and give it to our football coach and let him take it to the state. But here you go. Press play. Let's see how they respond to that. That's gold. That's awesome. Uh, one of the things you said that reminded me like, oh yeah, of course. Um, the first time, like I had, I had heard about you and obviously had heard about Hoover football. It's a pretty you know famous program throughout the country. But I, I had first seen you this video that popped up on Facebook years ago, and it was after either the 2016 or 2017 state title. You're giving a post-game conference, and you had the mic, and you're like, I'm going to go ahead and talk for as long as I want while I have the mic because <laughs> that's what I want to do. But you, uh, it's when you did the comparator-competitor uh, uh, conqueror speech. Can you give me the synopsis yeah. of that just for anyone well, who hasn't heard I mean, it? look, when I was probably in my first years of coaching – the story really behind that is I used to give a I used to give a talk and uh, and one of my go to talks was is I'd heard a guy talk about there's three kinds of people in this world. Now I'm going to preface this by giving this backstory and uh, and there's three kinds of people in this world. And look, if you don't get anything from this talk today and you're out there listening to it, this is what we need to be giving our kids every day. Look, there's three kinds of people. There's the quitter, there's the camper, and there's the climber. And many of you may have heard this before, but you can adjust it to ever how you want to. But, you know, the quitter is the guy that kind of looks like everybody else. You know, he, he, you know, he wears all the, the towels and the wristbands, you know, but he really doesn't want a part of it. And he'll go and buy the best chalk, the best carabiners, the best ropes. And he'll look up at the top of the mountain and actually say to himself, you know what, I want to get to the top. And he'll be ready. He'll get himself pumped. He'll talk himself into it and let everybody else talk him into it. And he'll walk to the bottom of the mountain. And then when they blow the whistle, the first thing he does is not take a step. The first thing he does is look at the top of the mountain to try to evaluate what it's going to take to get there. And believe me, what he does is he walks away from it and goes home. But his consolation is at least I walked up to the mountain. We got people that wake up every day. And their one goal is they at least I woke up today. Look, waking up ain't enough. It's about putting your feet on the floor, making your bed, brushing your teeth, get going and get 1% better. It's the camper. Then the camper is the guy that, you know, he starts at the bottom of the mountain and he gets going and you're thinking, God, this guy's going to get to the top. And then he gets about halfway and his lungs start burning, you know, and his legs start hurting, you know, and he starts just basically what he does is, is he looks down and he goes, good Lord, I've come a long way. And then he looks up. And then he goes, man, I got a long way to go. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to check in right here at Mediocre Inn in the middle of the mountain. And he walks into Mediocre Inn and, you know, they take all of his gear. They give him a room. They give him dinner. The next morning he wakes up. They got a great fire burning in the lobby and they give him a breakfast. And all these people are leaving to go back out on the mountain. And he goes, hey, you know what? Hey, I'll just stay right here. But his consolation is at least I'm better than the quitter. See, some of us wake up every day and we compare ourselves to quitters. And I don't, I, don't, I don't compare myself to anybody. I compare myself to what God expects me to be every day that I live my life. And so that ain't got anything to do with anybody. And so the last one is the climber. And so the climber is the one that when he takes his step, he doesn't even look to the top of the mountain. Like he don't even want to know how far he goes because he's going to finish on empty whether he gets there or not. And so as he starts, the only thing he's focused on is the next step because he knows if he missed steps, then he could slip and fall to the bottom and have to start all over. And the one thing that separates the climber from anybody else is, is when they see somebody that's struggling, they'll grab them and take them with them. Knowing that that may weigh them down and not get to the end, but it's all about taking people with you. 
It's all about making people better. And then when you get to the top, you're not the climber anymore. You're the claimer. And you claim the top of the mountain. You see all the other mountains that you're about to climb. And you go back down again and start back up again because you never, ever want to just stay at the top. And so for me, I'm, we're, we're riding that 2016 season and I'm listening to a podcast. And as I'm listening to the podcast, we're going to the semifinal game and we're, we're riding on the bus and, and I'm listening to this podcast and, and all of a sudden they, there's this person that comes on and they're like the swimming instructor for or the coach for the Olympic team. And he said something when he was talking in that talk that just caught my ear and he just said, look, don't wake up every day trying to compare yourself to others. Because all you're going to do is just become who they are. And you've, and so even if they're great, what if you could have been greater? And so for me, I started that day and I just thought to myself, I said, you know what? The next week I told our kids, I said, look, here's the deal. Like tonight and this weekend when we play, let's not be competitors. Let's, let's be competitors. But let's, let's, once we compete, let's want to be conquerors in the end. And so the comparator wakes up every day and he compares himself to everybody else. His gauge, his how far he's going to go, how great he's going to be, how much energy he's going to give, how much effort, whether he was a winner or a loser, is gauged off of what somebody else does. I don't want to gauge my life off of that. I don't want my players to do that. And we don't gauge our program off somebody else's program. And number two is, is like that competitor. So a competitor is I wake up every day. You know, it's the difference between the jogger and the marathon runner. Okay. The jogger gets up and he checks the weather. If his shoes aren't right, he ain't going out. If his socks aren't clean, he's not going. He comes up with every excuse, all right, to not have to go run. A marathon runner, their shoes are unlaced sitting at the bottom of the bed. So when your feet come around to go to the floor, they go in the shoes. They lace them up. They have no idea whether it's dark. They have no idea whether it's light. They have no idea whether it's snowing, raining, or the sun's out. They just run. And they and that's because that's, that's what they do. And so for us, that's what we want the competitor to be. When you wake up every day, what are you doing to compete to be at your best? And the only way you can become a conqueror is you got to be a competitor first. And a conqueror is ones that leave no doubt every day that they wake up. So when they go to bed at night, they know they're going to get what they deserve. And that get what they deserve is that they did leave no doubt. And then, you know, they were they were dominant in their performance of how they tried to be as a person that day. So that's kind of how it started for us. Um, and then we've grown it from there. And we talk to our kids about that every day. Um, and every year it might evolve into something else. I love I love hearing the expansion on it, the the context of it. Uh, I remember when that when I saw that post game press conference and uh I remember just hearing that and I was um, just getting ready to start my first year as a head coach. I remember hearing that and just being like, oh my, I, like, I'm ready to run through a wall. Like, let's go. Like, like, it's such a valuable lesson for kids to hear that comparing yourself to other people doesn't, like, that's not, that's not the end game. Uh, okay, cool. I, I became like this guy or I'm better than him. Like, that's, it's about, it's about getting as good as you personally can well, possibly and be. And there were, well, during um, that year, like, we had gotten beat the year before and, uh, you know, we got beat like like with three seconds left, um, you know, the year before, like seven to six. So we should have played for it the year before um, and would have had an opportunity to win it, um, which would have been four straight, and we lost. And so I'm an acronym guy. So, like, I come up with all kinds of acronyms, and every year we have an acronym. And so for that year, um, I just was sitting around one day and I'm thinking like, what is our acronym going to be next year? You know, does it mean, I mean, like I'm trying to come up with all these ways and 
one day I just, I said HTD and I thought HTD, hold the door, like hold the door. We're, we're coming back. Like, you know, we may not be there right now, but just hold the door. We're coming, you know? And so that was our motto. It was HTD. And so I allowed our seniors come up and they would give the, the vote. Well, basically what they did, give an inspirational speech before workout. So they had one minute and they would give their favorite quote and they would explain that quote to all the other players. And so the first guy that day was Trey Copeland. I'll never forget it. And he walked up in front of the team and he's the first guy to go. And he said, they thought they buried us, but they didn't know we were seeds. And I mean, we could have just played the state championship game that day. I mean, that was in January. I mean, I wanted to just tell the state, hey, it's over. You don't have a chance. And that's the way our kids approach every day. But it's crazy how if you'll empower your players, they'll surprise you. Because, you know, as coaches, sometimes we want to be the ones that are talking all the time. But the best teams I've ever had were those players that I empowered to be the leaders. And I just helped guide them. Yeah, there's certain days that I've got to talk to them. There's certain days that maybe we've got to do this or do that. And there's, and there's all days I have to lead them. But I think the better, when your best players, all right, when your best players are your best people and they're your hardest workers and your best leaders is when you have something special. When you did that that year, is that something that you've continued doing, like in terms of having uh, you know guys get up and give the inspirational speech? Is it something that you just knew you needed for that particular year? Like how that process that. play We out? continued it. So what we do is we have a coach that would uh, – we had a coach at that particular time that would set up a calendar, and then he would have that calendar, and he'd go through all the seniors, and he would put them all on a date. So those seniors would know. So when I came in, I'd say, hey, who's got a quote today? Bam, they come running up. And then they give the quote and they tell what that quote means, you know? And then, you know, our coaches, our, our players give them a clap of uh, appreciation. And uh, and then we get started. And if there's something I want to add to it, I might add something to it. Um, so it just allows our kids to be able to stand up in front of their teammates. Some, some guys don't like that, right? But the only way we're going to get better is you got to get out of your comfort zone. And so you got to be able to talk to your teammates. If you don't, then we ain't got relationships. And so that kind of helped us grow. And I think that's something that we've tried to grow and continue to grow. And, uh, and I think that's what makes us a little bit different uh, as far as trying to take something to another level. That's something small, but I think it's very significant. Yeah, I think it probably plays out really, really well for your kids just to give them that that space. I, I, I'm going to ask this question. I, I, I've had it in my head and I'm like, should I ask it? Should I ask it? Hell yeah, let's do it. And I say this question with, you know, you've, you were the right guy for Hoover, obviously. Like, no, that's not in doubt. Nobody can doubt that over 13 years. Like, duh. How did you, like, how did that work? Like, you went into Hoover, and Hoover was a really successful program at the time. On paper, like, just looking at your record, again, nothing else. Earlier you said you knew you just needed to get in for an interview because you knew that once you got in for an interview, you'd make it happen. Well, I, that I work think, out? you know, from starting at Aniana and for us to go from – you know, being one and nine and three and seven. Um, and, you know, nobody really even cared about Aniana. You know, nobody really cared about what was going on there. Um, and I think that was probably, you know, one of the deals to where we took that community and we went to a whole nother level. So once we went to a whole nother level, then it was more exposure. You know, the further you go, less people are playing. So more people want to be a part of what you're doing. And now all of a sudden Birmingham is coming to Aniana. So then, you know, I mean, your teams, your name, your your staff, you know, there's a lot of exposure there. And so then when I took the job in Oxford, you know, we took a team that went from 5A to 6A, um, which was a huge bump. And and so, you know, we ended up there. And, uh, 
And I think that was probably the biggest thing um, is, you know, when we went there, um, you know, my first year there was kind of a transitional year. My second year um, was one of those years to where we were still transitioning. And, and then my, that was when we became 6A. And, uh, you know, we were playing some teams we probably didn't need to, you know, probably weren't ready to play yet. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I don't mind my last year there, um, we ended up with an ineligible player, um, that had moved in. Um, and you know, we were 10 and 0 on the field. And so, you know, we had seven games that had to be forfeited, um, that year. And so we were undefeated, uh, that year on the field. Um, and you know, it was tough. It was tough for all of us. And, uh, you know, it was one of those deals where nobody knew, and it was one of those deals to where, you know, there wasn't nothing we could do about it. And, uh, and that was, that was, a that was a tough time in my life. That was a tough time in, you know, the, the program at Oxford and it was just a tough time period. And, uh, you know, and it was just, you know, one of those, you know, opportunity when, when Hoover came open that, you know, I felt like, you know, like I told you, if I got a chance to interview, um, you know, it's just one of those jobs here in the state that everybody, you know, wanted to, uh, I would think want to coach at, um, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of things that, you know, had been going on or had been happening that, you know, I didn't, that wasn't about me. I mean, it was about what I was going to try to do. Um, you know, and I appreciate everyone at Oxford. I mean, I love my time at Oxford. I love my opportunity there and they've continued to be successful. Um, but, but that was a tough time making that transition from there to Hoover. But, you know, the record says we were three and seven, but we were 10 and zero uh, on the field. Yeah, one thing you brought up in there, I think, is really important for coaches to hear. And I know it's you, you guys at Hoover haven't backed away from playing teams that I, I don't like IMG or, or teams like that, who um, you might go in and you might even lose that game. But but even so, the next day, you, you probably wake up feeling like it was still the right choice, like your team's going to be better because they went through that. I think that as a head coach is one of the ultimate like conundrums, because when you're trying to make your schedule and you're like, you know, it'd be nice to get a win. Uh, but also I, I could go play this team we might even lose and we might even possibly even get crushed. But if, if I've got the right culture set up, then the next day we wake up feeling it's weird, but even though we lost, we yeah, feel well, good I, about where we are. Look, I don't, <laughs> I mean, I'm not worried about the win and loss column. I'm worried about us getting better. You know, in the end, it's what game are we playing for? Can we win the finisher and the finisher state championship? That's all we're worried about, you know? Some years we'll play. I mean, one year we, you know, we started off against Pinson Valley and on ESPN. And, you know, we played those guys who had won the state championship the year before in 6A. You know, the next week we play St. John's College, who's, you know, they got kids from all over the country, you know. And so, I mean, we, we had a chance in that game. And then we lost. And then, you know, we reeled off like seven straight. Um, and then we play IMG the last game of the year, which, I mean, they've got players from all over the country. You know, we got players from Hoover, Alabama you know, from the, the, the west side of Hoover, Alabama, you know, and, you know, and people go, well, why would you do that? You know, and hey, my first year we played them, we should have beat them. My second year we competed uh, and then some things didn't go our way our last year. We just, I mean, we didn't, we didn't play well and they did. And, uh, and so for us, it was about getting better. It's about how can we make ourselves better to get into the playoffs. And so, you know, when you play somebody like that, um, who's probably got a chance to uh, be one of the best teams in the country, um, then your kids can grow confidence in that and know, hey, we ain't going to play anybody like that, you know. And so, 
you know, I think that's what we do. I mean, we, we, I mean, you go back and look at every schedule that we've played since I've been here. I mean, we're not scared to play anybody. Um, and so, and that's what we've been able to do. But I think there is a fine line that you have to draw um, between you and I, and I don't mind saying this. I mean, I mean, after we had played those teams, and then you find out that, look, I mean, those guys, I mean, they, they got kids, they're recruiting kids in, you know, I mean, we're not doing that. And so that's really not fair to our kids. So, you know, we don't play a lot of private schools now, I mean, anymore, um, as far as that goes, because of how they're able to get their players. Now, you know, if we could play, you know, somebody, you know, we want to go to California and play somebody, you know, we want to go to Texas. I mean, we went to Allen in 16 and played them. You know, we're always looking for those opportunities to, uh, to give our kids exposure, but also give us a chance to get better. I want to finish here uh, with with faith, family, and football because I think anybody who listens to you know faith, family, and football is basically what what Josh Niblett's all about. Can you kind of go into how faith impacts how you coach yeah, young I, men? I just think it's a ministry. I mean, that's just the way I try to approach it. I mean, you know, you know, God tells us in the Bible that I mean, I mean, we should be His disciples. You know, we should wake up every day trying to do what He needs us to do. You know, I'm. When I was reading my, my devotional book by Tony Junji this morning, you know, it was talking about how look, there's nothing in this world that's going to fill that void that you'll always have besides Jesus Christ. I mean, that's it. I mean, because it may be a void that's going on right now, but it's a void eternally if you don't fill it with the right things. And so for me, you know, it's about waking up every day. I'm not perfect by no means, um, but it's trying to wake up every day and then be a light for, you know, my family, number one, then be a light for my staff and our players there. Um, but just trying to be an example. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, that's what God's blessed me to be able to do when I wake up every day. And so I'm trying to grow that. Uh, I try to live that every day. Um, and I think, uh, in the end, um, it's all about glorifying him. It's not about anything else. So, you know, if I've got to ask the question, is this going to glorify him or not? Then it's probably not. Um, and so, you know, we want to make sure we're doing those kind of things to uh, impact other people's lives so we can impact this kingdom. Well, man, I've, I've loved having you on. I wanted to give the mic over to you one last time and just just let you, uh, you know, if there's anything we didn't cover that maybe we should have or if you have any advice for maybe a young coach listening in or, I don't know, whatever, just kind of hand the mic over to you one last time. Well, and give you first a of all, thanks, Max. I mean, I, I've been looking forward to this just to get an opportunity to uh, – you know, I think coaches out there every day are looking for, you know, the, the best play, uh, maybe the the best scheme, maybe the best, you know, something in the weight room to where you can only go in there 10 minutes and everybody's maxes went up, you know, whatever. Or, hey, you know, a deal to where we could only have to practice for 30 minutes, but would be even better on Fridays, you know. And, you know, I think my biggest thing is to say that, you know, work has to be put in. And, uh, and if you're a young coach, I want to encourage you, like, look, I'm, I'm almost at 25 years. Learn. I mean, don't don't see yourself like right now I've been here, and this will be – I've been here 13 years, but I've been here 13 years, but I've been here one year 13 times. So I reapproach every year to give the same work. I want to take my work to another level, you know, whether it's lining a practice field off or lining the game field off or weed eating or cutting grass or cleaning toilets, whatever it may be. Those things that have to be done because it makes your program better and don't be better than the hard work that it takes and the sweat equity that you must give, not just to get where you want to get to, but get to where you want your players and your staff to be able to get to. And I think that's important. And I think at the end of the day, it's all about making an impact. 
and it's all about making an impact on the people around you. It's all about being 1% better 24-7 a day, making great choices um, no matter the circumstances. And so I've been very blessed. And, you know, if there's anything for those out there that are listening that would like to, uh, you know, email me or, you know, text me on my Twitter, it's at Josh Niblett, you know, direct message me, you know, I'll help you out any way possible. But, you know, it's all about trying to study to be better men. Um, because like I said, the game's going to evolve year in and year out, you know, and I tell people this all the time. I think everybody sees it. I'm probably the only one that would say it though. And they, you know, we pick up these schemes and we like them. And then all of a sudden that team loses and we're like, I'm not using their stuff anymore. You know, I mean, like, so now all of a sudden we're looking for a new scheme or looking for this. Whereas what we need to be doing is waking up every day and just trying to be better men. And, uh, and, um, I think if we do that, then we'll have an impact on our players. They'll become better men. And I promise you this, you'll not just be successful, but you'll be elite in everything that you're doing. So God bless you guys, Max. I appreciate you having me on. Appreciate the opportunity and pray safety for everybody and uh, pray the sport continues to grow. Oh my goodness. You know, there's just some people who were born to coach. I truly believe that. And I think that dude is about as born to coach as any human I've ever come in contact with. Wow. Thanks again to Josh Niblett for joining the club. Speaking of joining the club, if you haven't yet, be sure to sign up and become a free member of the High School Coaches Club. You'll instantly join the premier national network of high school coaches, trainers, booster club members, parents, athletic directors, everybody. You guys know. And you'll also get the weekly newsletter. It takes about 90 seconds. You can find that link in the show notes. Be sure to follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. Visit the website, highschoolcoachesclub.com. Reach out to me, Max, at highschoolcoachesclub.com or on Twitter, at Mr. Max Price. If you or anyone you know would make for a great guest, you know what to do. Let me know. All right, that's it. You're awesome. You matter. I appreciate you. If there's anything I can do for you, Holler, thanks again for tuning in, and as Coach Lee would say, loving you.